0: edition of Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow has arrived here on Outkick. Glad you're with us as we broadcast from 6th and Peabody with ehop Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. A lot of the discussion today about Michigan, Jim Harbaugh, sign stealing, investigations, and more. Andy Staples has been all over this for On3. You can check out uh, Andy Staples' On3 on YouTube, which is a fantastic show uh, where it's not even daily. It's like uh, multiple times per day. It's hourly this, some days, hours, depending sometimes. on the news yeah, cycle. Especially you never with know. this one, Andy. Thank you for the time. Always appreciate it. And if I'm the, looking into the uh, uh, the NCAA's investigating sign stealing, uh, it's not necessarily about evidence needed anymore. That's pretty clear. The question I have now is how how long has this gone on, and how deep does this story go? There's a lot of twists and turns to it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's it's gone on for at least a couple of years, and the the question is what do you do about it? (laughs) You know, what is the NCAA equipped to even do about it? This is not something they normally handle. It's a, it's an integrity of the game issue. And it's a, it's actually a thing that moves betting lines. And so it's a little more pressing than what they're usually dealing with. Usually they're just trying to keep athletes from getting money and they're you know really can't do that anymore. So (laughs) they don't have a whole lot going on, but they uh, it's, it's interesting because they, they seem to have a pretty good pile of evidence here against Connor Stallions, the, the Michigan staffer who was allegedly running the the surveillance ring. I don't know what it's called the code the code breaking ring. Intelligence. Um, exactly. <laughs> in his link but, in his
2: LinkedIn bio, it says that he he's gonna bring some oh, yeah. form of intelligence gathering to Michigan football <laughs> and, that he learned in the Marine Corps.
1: And that's I, I mean I, I don't disagree with that. That seems like a pretty accurate assessment of the whole thing. But you know the question is what did Jim Harbaugh know? How much did he know? It doesn't really, that that part of it actually doesn't matter because of the way the NCAA rewrote the rules a few years ago. The head coach is on the hook for anything that's a member of their staff does. So now the question becomes, what are they going to do about it and when? And the when part is really interesting. And I think, you know, if you're expecting a, a quick resolution, if you're a Michigan fan who just wants to have this thing be over, or if you're, like an Ohio State fan who wants to know what's going to happen to Michigan, well, you're not going to find out for a while because the way the NCAA enforcement process works, you got to have a notice of allegations. The school has 90 days to respond to that. The NCAA then has 30 days to respond to the response. Like we're we're into we're into some months now,
0: and maybe a new head coach.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, he could be the coach of the Chargers, the Bears right, by that point, right? And he's he's looked at an NFL job or tried to get an NFL job each of the past two years. And, and you know, the guy went to a Super Bowl with the 49ers. He went to to three NFC championship games. So I do imagine that itch is there and, and he'd like to scratch it if he could. Now, the, the problem is he couldn't get one of the jobs that was open. And I don't know if he's going to be able to get one of the jobs that is open, but it would certainly be worth a try for him because Michigan will have to do something there. They will have to discipline him in some way. And I don't know exactly what that's going to be, because remember, Initially, we're going to do a plea. There's another case involving some recruiting stuff, and it's not necessarily the recruiting stuff because if Jim Harbaugh said, "Hey, these guys came to Ann Arbor during COVID, this kid was already committed, we drove all that way, so I figured I'd I'd meet him for a cheeseburger," if he'd said I did that, there would have been really no issue. They would have slapped him on the wrist. That would have been that. Instead, he said, "I don't recall." They show him a receipt. He's like, "I still don't recall." And now they that is a a punishable offense as well. They consider that lying to them. So they've got that. And they were initially going to do a plea deal where he was going to be suspended for four games. That got rejected by the NCAA's Committee on Infractions. And Michigan then self imposed a three game suspension that he served at the beginning of this season. So you got all that. And then you throw this on top of it. And they are going to tag it to Jim Harbaugh no matter what they find in terms of. What did he know?
2: Andy, one of the reasons to love college football uh, was your post that cited the VolQuest <laughs> message board poster, Arnie Palmer. I think it was. that Arnie back,
1: Palmy alert.
2: Arnie Palmy alert that Even back better. in December had this story pegged. Uh, one of my yes. little brother's friends is a scout, in quotations for them. Paid him to travel to the UT Vandy game. Had planned to go, but then the loss to South Carolina happened. Still went because it was Thanksgiving weekend. Followed up in January and and followed up on that post and said, not sure if it's related, but they've been told not to tell Harbaugh what's going on. This guy had it all. And these conspiracy – and this turns out not to be a conspiracy theory because it's being investigated by the NCAA – But this level of fervor is one of the reasons we love the sport of college football so much. It's
1: beautiful. It's so beautiful. And then on the Oregon message boards, there was somebody who posted, I believe yesterday, and said, hey, I bet this happens in more places than you think. And says, we were at the Washington-Oregon game last year in Eugene, and there was this dude in front of us who just kept taping, you know, filming the Oregon sideline with his camera. Like, this must be going on everywhere. Well, it turns out... Connor Stallions bought the seat that guy was sitting in. Incredible. So, like, it, it, it and the guy had no idea. Like, you just stumbled co- upon this stuff. And, and that's what, the fact that this touches so many schools, you've got m- most of the Big Ten, obviously, but then Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, Oregon. Pro- I'm assuming there's more there. Clemson, I think, has also been listed as one. They yeah, were maybe not TCU. Yeah. Maybe that's why they scored 51. But, that's true.
0: Fair enough on that know, one. It,
1: yeah. Yeah. It's but it's crazy because if you if you give these people on the message boards a reason to become detectives, they will.
2: Yeah, the the best response, the first reply to that one post by a Tennessee fan was <laughs> "We're so back." Was the first <laughs> response when Michigan was scouting them, which was which was so a great good. response. But I, I, I'll I'll ask it to you this way because. You talk to a lot of coaches and obviously a lot of people around college football. To me, the one possible fallback from Michigan, which they haven't said anything yet, and they're smart not to do so, but would be, guys, do you think this isn't happening
1: everywhere to some extent? That this is yeah, going everywhere? when we can prove have, it
2: here, here, and here, they, right?
1: They can't prove it, though, because it's it's this is not happening everywhere.
2: So go, go into that, because that was going to be the question I wanted to ask you. Is it happening to this extent anywhere no. else, or are people you're talking to saying absolutely not?
1: No, I mean, other coaches normally with stuff, they'll be like, yeah, yeah, whatever that happens. Now they're like, with this, they're like, what? They they did what? Huh? Every coach tries to steal signs. Every program tries to steal signals within the game or from the TV copy or from the coach's copy. Every single one. No doubt. But are there people sending people to video sidelines at other places? No. Not there's not a bunch of schools that are just sending people out to video sidelines,
2: and it's pretty clear on the rule, right? There's no yeah. pleading ignorance here. On um, oh, we didn't know we couldn't do that with a so, staffer. You can't do it.
1: Yeah, but. with off-site, we're, we're well, offsite, it doesn't matter scouting. if it's if you if you outsource the cheating, it's still cheating too. So
2: so if you were paying someone else, even if it's a fan, it's cheating. yeah yeah yeah. It's just. It, it, yeah
0: was it todd berry i believe is his name uh, director of the american football A-F-C-A. yeah he's he's admitted that he would send a fan to games with a phone and then have it sit, sit back to him he said well i never looked at it but it's like <laughs> what like he, yeah on, no, the record, I, I sure, on
1: the record with that i am sure it goes on but it is not that widespread it is not everybody doing it
0: what What do you think happens over the last four games here in the season with USC? Lincoln Riley, uh, he's Hmm. uh, at home based on an illness, uh, doctor's orders. The last four games, they've got Cal this week, but, I mean, it's a gauntlet to finish with Washington, Oregon, and UCLA. I mean, two losses is just the start, isn't it?
1: Yes. I I mean, I I have a hard time envisioning them beating Washington or Oregon. Maybe maybe they can beat one of them, but... This was a team that was supposed to go to the playoff. This was a team that was supposed to win the PAC 12. This was a team that was supposed to compete for a national title. And it is essentially a worse version of last year's team. And that isn't what they signed up for. They they signed up for Lincoln Riley coming and bringing them back to prominence quickly. And he brought Caleb Williams with him. Caleb Williams wins a Heisman. You assume everybody in the transfer portal wants to come play with Caleb Williams. And they did, they did get some good players out of the transfer portal, but they they have the same flaws they had last year with maybe a couple more they, they you know there doesn't seem to be a Jordan Addison type receiver that can take over a game. Uh, they don't their their offensive line probably isn't as good as it was last year. Uh, defensive line is maybe a little bit better, but their defense in general as a whole is not that good because uh, Alex Grinch, the the defensive coordinator, he's just he, he's not shown at Oklahoma or at USC that he's capable of putting a defense on the field that can tackle throughout the season. When
2: you fire the offensive coordinator eight games into the season, you know things aren't going well, and that's usually the last stop before the head coach is the next to go, and that's what Sam Pittman did this week uh, with Dan Enos. Andy, do you feel like this is it, the way this thing is going for Sam Pittman in Arkansas, or is he getting another year?
1: I feel like they're trying to give him as many chances as they can because they like the guy. But if it goes very badly through the end of the season, you know, if if FIU is the only other game they win this year and they finish three and nine, then they may make a change. But I think they like Sam Pittman and they're gonna give him as many chances as they can. And I this is why I always tell people that it doesn't matter how a coach treats people if he goes 12 and 0 or 0 and 12, because that will decide what happens. But it's in the middle there where that does matter when somebody has to make a decision on you. If they like you, you might get one more chance. And that's what it seems like Sam Pittman's getting and because he's very well liked there. They feel like he gets Arkansas. They just, they can't have this.
0: Check out Andy Staples with on three and Andy Staples on three, the podcast available Uh, behind the scenes with uh, those in charge. Are they as concerned with college football officiating as the, the, the viewing public as the fans are with what we've seen. And I'm not specifically thinking of Tennessee, Alabama, but that certainly comes off a weekend where I'm asking yeah. the question. The it's, Iowa, it's, the Iowa fair catch, bad. no fair catch it's play. It's been bad, but and it's everywhere. Uh, they, is there they, a plan not, to get it better?
1: No. The game's not slowing down. You have the same complaints in the NFL. People are always going to complain about the officials. I, would, it, I wish everyone could try to do it for a quarter and see how it feels. And then realize, oh yeah, they're gonna mess up sometimes because it's just a nearly impossible job. It, I actually, the SEC let me be a, a line judge in Georgia's spring game in 2019. It is a very different. like, I thought I saw pass interference, I threw my flag, I ran up to the referee and he goes, okay, what number committed pass interference? And I'm like, wait, wait I have to remember the number? <laughs> And I was like, oh, uh, let's just pick up this flag. And I also missed an intentional grounding call on Jake Fromm because it was close to the goal line. So, like, if you're the line judge and you're in the in the field of play, you're going to stay kind of near the line of scrimmage or and then move to, to where the first down marker is. On the goal line, you move immediately to the goal line. So I had moved off the line of scrimmage, so I wasn't really paying attention to where the line of scrimmage was. And Jake Fromm throws the ball. He's getting pressured. He throws the ball away out of bounds, but it's behind the line of scrimmage. So I should have dropped a flag for intentional grounding, missed it. And that's just really like every play you're dealing with 90 things at once. And then you have all these other guys trying to deal with it too. It is a very difficult job, and things are going to get missed sometimes.
2: Well, look, and and I, if you asked that official to host your podcast one day, he wouldn't be very good at it either. But th- he that's would
1: what be they, better at hosting my podcast than I would be look, at, I, I, at, at officiating. We get
2: that it's tough, right? It's going to be tough for someone yeah. who's never done it. Also, like, what that's, I'm saying is the, the NFL officials
1: profession. are the NFL officials are better yeah, and everybody says they stink but too.
2: This is what they do, and, and here's my issue with it. Now that we have the the rules expert that's going on television, and you get disagreements between the rules expert and what's going on in the field, and at times there are decisions that just baffle the mind on replay, where the rules official and everyone watching at home is seeing one thing, and then they come on the speaker and say another one. I think the issue that fans have more than anything, Andy, and you, you could speak to this, it's the silence from the leagues that, about it. Yeah. And, and it's the lack of transparency. I really yeah. think if they came out and just said, you know, our crew missed this upon review. You know, yeah. in this game, in one individual well, moment, I don't think NBA it would quiet everyone, but they, they would at least yeah. say, well, at least they owned it. At least I'm not crazy for thinking they so missed that one.
1: I have asked commissioners this. I have asked, you know, people in charge, head, head of officiating for, for different conferences this. And the the reason they, don't, they say they don't want to do it is they feel like any admission of incorrectness will cause people to think, it's even more fixed or more, you know, the the officials are more incompetent than they already do. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think it would actually humanize them a little bit. And I would appreciate if they did that. They do that for the coaches, the coach, in every league, the coach has a call with the head of the officiating federation that, that handles their league or has a, a, you know, some back and forth where they'll send them some plays and the head of officiating will send stuff back. Or maybe send some place to them and say, "Hey, here's why we did this. Here's why we officiated it this way." A little transparency would go a long way, as far as that goes. I, I agree with you there. I actually like the idea of if if you got a controversial call, instead of sending the pool reporter in to ask the question and they come out and deliver the one quote from the referee, the referee should have to give a press conference, just like just like the coach did. Like the coach screws up, he's got to talk about it. The referee should have to do it too.
0: Andy, we've got exactly one minute left here, so I'll be brief on the question. Uh, Final year for the college football playoff at four teams. Which four teams right now do you trust the most to be there a month from now?
1: Michigan and Georgia. And then the the other ones are really up in the air. It's
0: going to be a crazy month.
1: Yeah, Texas, Oklahoma, Washington, Oregon, Utah, uh, Ohio State, Alabama. Like, all of those, there's... Somebody two of those are getting in but I have no idea which two. It's a good answer.
0: Yeah. I that's mean my I, answer too right now. I can't wait. I can't wait for it. And even the teams that you're most confident in could fall. I mean yep. it's it's yeah. not inconceivable with George. Oh,
1: look George's next 4 games. That's a really tough stretch.
0: Andy, Andy, thank you, Bud. Always great, man. Uh loving the podcast. Keep up the great work and thanks again for for joining our show.
1: Appreciate it, guys. Thank yeah. you.
0: Andy Staples. On three, Check out uh, the show and all the great coverage there with On3 Sports. Chad, coming up, Jerry Jones and Dak Prescott. Is Jerry on board with Dak being the future of the franchise? Some are questioning that. That's next. All right, thanks to Andy Staples for joining us. Hot mic with Hutton and Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Chad, we were discussing officials and college football officiating specifically, even at the highest level. Power 5, SEC, Big Ten, anywhere you want to look. There is... It's a fact that there is a shortage of officials at the high school level. And then, of course, you move up to... Uh, you, you get the call up to the different levels of college athletics. Um, and then... You know, you've got crew members who are being evaluated in the national championship game, for instance, last year, that are being elevated and called up to the NFL. Um, I think because of that, you're not getting the cream of the crop. You're getting a a less, like a a tier lower than what you would normally be selecting. Because far fewer, uh, fewer and fewer uh, uh, amounts of uh, candidates, let's say, are in the pool to choose from where now high school athletic associations are having to go on Thursday and Friday nights where every school has to play on a Thursday once a year because they don't have enough officials. And there's, uh, there, there's gotta be a, a, there has to be a tier to where that that affects every level at some point.
2: Uh, Well, yeah. And you mentioned the multiple nights of high school football now for that. Um, It's tough because who grows up and wants to be an official? I mean, in terms of goals, like, you know, I really want to be a football official. There's not a lot of people saying that. So it feels almost like public service work when you're doing it to go and officiate a game. But if you get to the highest levels, there is something cool about, I'm sure, officiating a game in some of these cathedrals of college football or... In the NFL, if you make it to the height of your profession, a lot of them are related to the former officials. Now. Yeah, it's people that have grew up in. It's kind of an officials family, right? It, it, yeah, you, know, you grow up with it, and you want it to is. do it also. It's handed down, much like you know uh, a family of cops or firefighters or a military family. So uh, I, I see some of that. I don't. It's hard. I, I want to. I I want to reserve the right to complain about it, like every other sports fan, when it's bad, and I think we have to do that. And have to hold officials accountable. But I also acknowledge the fact it is a difficult job and it's hard to find people that want to do it and want to put in the time and games and hours to work your way up through the system to become an SEC or Big Ten or NFL official. That's difficult to find those candidates that are both talented enough and want to put in the time and work to get there. I, I get it. Now, when Andy says, you know, I was out there officiating one game and it was tough, I, yes. I, I think most sound-minded people would say it would be difficult for me to do it, but I, I've used this example with him. It'd be difficult for that official to go host an entire podcast by themselves the way you do or write a column on college football the way you do. It'd be difficult for me to go be a doctor for a day. <laughs> It'd be, I mean, if you're, it's not your profession, oftentimes it's going to be difficult for someone who doesn't do it. Th- that's what they do. When they're out there calling huge SEC games – or NFL games, that's their profession. They've done it a lot, and they're out there for a reason. So, pardon me, but my standard is high for those officials when they're out there in that moment.
0: And this is not... I I, I feel different about my reaction to officiating this season. I don't know if you do. But, but, Chad, I'm thinking there are some obvious things that are being missed on a routine basis now. And it's not just... It's not just because it's the I'm watching SEC. It's across the board. There's just some really bad, obvious, blatant calls that at least in the NFL you can just get the buzz from upstairs in some cases and just quickly change change it to the right spot or the right call or whatever. Sometimes you have to go for review, whatever. Um, but yeah, the there are some some areas where it's just what what seems very routine is being missed. And I don't yeah, see a rush to. I don't see a rush to address it, and that's that's concerning to me.
2: And now I think it's 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 heightened because you have the rules analysts, the former officials that are on, and they're disagreeing at times what's going on, or they're saying one thing and they're coming back upon review and saying the opposite, and then they kind of go back go away again, and it's back to the guys calling and the that,
0: game. You're right; that does play a factor in it, but like the uncatchable, like even this past weekend in Indy, over It's a the, bad sequence. Uncatchable. And it's not just that one game. It's happened a handful of times throughout the season. And you would think, like, you would be able to see – you're watching the play to see if there's any uh, penalty, any foul being, uh, being on the defense, offense, whatever, for the possible catch, possible interception. And it, if you don't see the football that, to me, is uncatchable.
2: Well, the Iowa game, you know, that wasn't a fair catch called for. When he's pointing out the ball or telling his, his, his up backs to get out of the way of it, and then he catches it off the bounce, and they go back upon review and say that he called for a fair catch, and they negate a game-winning punt return for a touchdown. That, unacceptable. And sorry, Bama fans, but you can't convince me that one of the most penalized teams in the SEC went an entire football game without committing one penalty in play. They had a snap infraction all day. Not one hold, offense or defense, not one pass interference. Uh, there's, there's video and photographic evidence of a guy getting horse collared on a hold uh, on a touchdown pass by Alabama. I get that calls like that are missed. I think what you want to see is consistency. And this is not claiming that every penalty Tennessee made was called in the game. We know one that wasn't. And others that were called that were legitimate penalties. But when it's that big of a discrepancy, you're going to have question marks. And when you can see things, you know, that were, speaking of uncatchable, you know, a defensive hold pass interference call on Tennessee that kept a drive going that led to a touchdown that would have been a punt after that play that was thrown seven yards out of bounds trying to get rid of the ball. It's things like that that drive fans crazy. And and that's what's got to be cleaned up. I I don't have as big of an issue. It's frustrating. But if there's a lot of ticky-tack pass interference calls – at least call them on both teams to where now you know, oh, this crew's going to call that, this crew is going to call that. So by the fourth quarter, you're not surprised when that flag comes out. Just the consistency is a big issue with it. And sometimes it is consistently bad on one call, right? But you got to keep it up with both teams. So I, I, don't, I don't know what the answer is, Hutton, but I'm with you. It feels different right now in college football, the NFL, than it has in the past.
0: Chad, consistency would be an issue for Dak Prescott. And Jerry Jones definitely wants to see more consistency. He was, uh, he was discussing the 49ers prior to the Cowboys matchup two weeks ago, now three, two and a half weeks ago, um, and said that they're the most likely team to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. And that was before the beatdown took place. He then, uh, to the athletic, had a quote uh, following Minnesota's victory over San Francisco said, I would have liked to play better against the 49ers. You see a team step up and play like Minnesota did and their quarterback did. They can be had, the 49ers. Well, if you go back and look at the stat line for Dak Prescott against the 49ers for the Cowboys, it's not impressive at all. Three picks. Barely, what, 150, 160 yards passing in this game. He completed less than 60% of his throws. And then we see what Cousins did, where he kept the Vikings offense on the field. The points aren't all that impressive. What is, though, is the number of first downs and some big moments in big throws where he throws for well over 300 yards in that game. Uh, Addison goes off as a takeaway on a possible pick, runs it in for a score right before halftime. They made the big plays. The question is, is Prescott set up to do that within this Cowboys offense? Jerry's admitted he's not putting up a, a, a big run at the trade deadline for players. I think Derrick Henry makes a lot of sense for them, mm. but based on his, based on his comments, I mean, he's going to pick up the phone and listen, but he's not picking up the phone and calling. At least that's what he's saying publicly. I don't think there's any inkling with Jerry where he's saying, I'd rather have cousins than Prescott. I don't think that's what he means. But there is a big evaluation going on right now with Prescott and this team. Back-to-back 12-win seasons, the last two years, they've been put out by the 49ers, which is why this is implied. We see their quarterback make plays, Minnesota's. We need to do the same. That's obvious. And Prescott, while the length of the contract is a bit longer than this, there are voidable years that go into effect after next season. So it's this year and next year, and then what? On um, what was a four-year, uh, $190 million contract. I believe it's just under 200 They need to figure out, are we extending? Are we restructuring? Are we waiting this out with Dak, who's going to be 31 next year in the final year of the contract before you can void out some money? I, I'm still indifferent on him, and because I am, I'm not on board with Prescott taking Dallas and the Cowboys to the Super Bowl that Jerry wants to see as he doesn't get younger by the day. What do you think? I Way too inconsistent.
2: The statement you made about if you're indifferent on him at this point and all the time he's had with Dallas in that offense... At some point, you have to admit it. Then the indifference is your answer. The indifference means, yeah, you could do a lot worse than Dak Prescott, but it's also the admission that you can do a heck of a lot better than Dak Prescott. And he's probably not the answer to win a Super Bowl for the Dallas Cowboys because that is the goal. That is Jerry Jones' goal every year, and especially with the clock ticking, and it's been a long time since their last title. If you're indifferent and you think you don't have an answer on Dak Prescott, there's your answer at this point in his career. So they're going to be moving on at some point from him. Um, The question is then who is the next Dallas Cowboys quarterback? I don't hate Dak Prescott. I think he's a good NFL quarterback, but he's not top tier. He's not up echelon, and he's not a guy that you're going to circle every year and say, you got a shot with him. You got a shot with Joe Burrow. You got a shot with Patrick Mahomes. You got a shot with Josh Allen. I can keep going on. Lamar Jackson. You're going to have a shot with these guys. We thought that about Deshaun Watson, and that changed. With Dak Prescott, I'm not putting him in that list of top quarterbacks. Yeah. Year in, year out. He's on the outside looking in to that group. And I don't, I don't see that changing anytime soon.
0: Well, and the thing is, you have to ask yourself, okay, uh, we've got a shot with Prescott. Because many would say, get to the tournament, get to the playoffs, and then you have a shot. But I look at it as, what, who do you trust over a four-game span to get you there and win in different ways? Who's not going to lose you the game? And while Prescott only has four picks this season... That's good considering what we saw him tied for the lead in interceptions a year ago. Um, we, and that was in 12 games played, by the way. We also only see six, six touchdown passes. And this is a good Dallas team. They, everyone wants to rip on Jerry Jones for also being the GM. There's a lot of talent on that roster. Didn't take, for instance, passes on Johnny Manziel and drafts Zach Martin, who's an eight-time all-pro offensive lineman. Gives a two-year extension to that guy this offseason instead of having that player sit out and and have a holdout. I mean, uh, I like the roster he's put together. I'm just kind of... I, I waver one side or the other with the QB. And then there, if you have that, there will be some games where your, your defense is going to be balling out and... Your quarterback's going to have the ball and throw a pick. And I I just – I don't trust Prescott to get me back to the Super Bowl over a four-game span if you're playing in the wild card, which right now they are.
2: And there are certain teams that you look at them and you say, will the roster elevate the team or the quarterback when you get in the playoffs? The Cowboys, to me, are without a doubt a maybe the roster will elevate them on a playoff run. I don't look at them and think Dak Prescott's going to get hot and carry that team on his back. But that's what Stafford did front. in the
0: Rams run, yeah. you know? And Brady but Stafford came back, was a guy that year that I thought. To, it was 24-3, though, and yeah. they're up that. And then you have the ball after Brady. It goes down, ties the game. They get the two-point conversion. And then you the offense gets in field goal range and makes the throws in the moment to get you there.
2: It, but see, Stafford was that guy to me. I went out and looked. He can elevate a team and get hot in the playoffs. I don't look at Dak Prescott that way. If they're going to do something, I feel like it's because Micah Parsons loses his mind and plays out of this world. But it, it, It's not going to be Dak Prescott.
0: And, and, that's, that's the sad part with him. And, and the naysayers on Stafford would say, well, he elevated the Rams when he got there, but he couldn't do it in Detroit. And I would say, well, Dak has had a lot of talent around him. Yeah. A ton. And it's time to take off or not. And, and if you're still, if you still don't have that answer, he's not going to do it. But also like uh, the debate between he and Cousins is, I mean, no, no. Uh, the, the success rate and the bounce around, I'm sticking with Prescott over Kirk Cousins in that. Just based on the, I mean, at, at, at best, you view them in the same tier
2: if you're ranking these quarterbacks at best. Yeah, it's tough to... There's not a good alternative. Kirk Cousins is an upgrade for a number of teams, but if there's any question, like Kirk Cousins being new to the offense, the team is not the answer, if it's close. Is
0: Cousins going on that four-game run to win you a title? Uh, Probably not. uh, The quarterbacks Chad listed, I'm with him. I trust those guys to be able to do that. By the way, coming up, the Cowboys have the Rams this week. And then they're on the road in Philly, followed by a game against the Giants. Some big matchups coming up for Dak Prescott and company. Well, generally they're good in the regular season or headlines next. Been a fast show today. Hope it's been for uh, viewers and listeners across the Owlkick Network. Hot Hotmite with Hutton Withrow across the uh, network here. It could be uh, on YouTube, or if you're listening to this great radio partner, we say thank you. Chad, uh, Kirk Cousins to the Niners talk. Already heating up if things don't pan out with Brock Purdy, who, by the way, uh, if you haven't heard today, he's in concussion protocol. Purdy in concussion protocol. Sam Darnold. Getting the first team reps, that would be the expectation. And, um, and before the injuries announced, I'm saying, uh, Darnold would be the backup and he slated to right now, get the start, uh, because I, I, it's very unlikely that a player goes into the protocol and then is cleared. This quickly learning about it today, I'm saying on a short week road trip. We'll wait and see the official status, but no practice for Purdy and he won't be able to clear until he practices and then responds to it the following day. That'll be the final stage of it. But it could be Darnold against Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. And so I,
2: I'm confused about the insinuation here. If it doesn't work out for Brock Purdy with this concussion?
0: No. Or just, just moving oh, forward next year? If the, the Niners who are perceived to be the top team in the NFL, if things don't roll down the path that everyone expected with Purdy and coming back off of the crazy run that he went on last year, and then things just don't go as planned within Shanahan's offense, like we've seen the last two weeks. Could they turn to Kirk Cousins, for example?
2: After the season. After the season, yeah. After the season. I mean...
0: I mean, sure they could. We
2: have gone from front-runner in the MVP ballot to uh, get rid of him and go to Kirk Cousins pretty quick with Brock Purdy. Uh, I know this is a fast-paced business, but man... Well, the reason, that's quite the, quite the guess at this point. The
0: connections there are simply because Shanahan was in Washington when they drafted Robert Griffin III and then also drafted Kirk Cousins. So there's the link with the former fourth-round pick. And then Cousins came in and played very well, while RG3 did not. That's, that's the link to it that Florio's making, that Cousins could be the guy. And, I mean, based on the salary... And the future salary of what they're about to hand in Minnesota to Justin Jefferson, they've already done that with T.J. Hawkinson. There will be others. They've paid a couple guys on defense too. It's unlikely Cousins is re-signing there. He knows that, yeah. so he's going to be available. Tannehill Hill should be available. There will be other QBs. Well, look, with but all- Purdy has been good. Uh, this idea, like uh, Shannon Sharp, I told you he was an elite. No one was arguing that Purdy was uh, up there in the in the discussion with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but was he playing at an MVP level to start the season? Yeah, and it, it, that doesn't mean he's ascended to elite status. But it doesn't mean he sucks as a quarterback either. It, it, he's not on the he's not on the tier
2: with some of the worst in the league currently. He's he's a good quarterback. It's weird for Shannon Sharp to get that excited about a seventh round pick uh, not playing well after playing great, and then you know claiming, oh, I'm the one who told you I that told he's not he elite. Wasn't elite. Look, I've just warmed up to the fact that Brock Purdy is a really, really good NFL quarterback based on what I've seen and what he's done throughout his career so far, which is a short career. But he's gotten it done at every turn. So I'm not going to warm up to him being a franchise, really good NFL quarterback and follow that up and say, now it's time to look to Kirk Cousins this offseason. I'm I'm not there. Mike Florio may be there because Shanahan has a connection to him. I'm not even ready to speculate about that right now. Brock Purdy is the man in San Francisco. He is their franchise quarterback until proven otherwise. There's going to be options for Kirk Cousins. I'm not ready to circle the 49ers as a spot that's in need of a quarterback of Kirk Cousins' ilk this season before the deadline or next season right now. Not ready to go there.
0: Yep, and Purdy's on a great spot financially, for the Niners, they can't, even if they wanted to, they cannot give him an extension in big money until after year three, which would be after next season. Meanwhile, it's just a one-year contract for Sam Darnold. He's in a big spot this Sunday against Cincinnati if he gets the chance to start because Purdy can't due to the concussion. Chad, uh, Jim Irsay said that the NFL has admitted and understands that they did not make the correct calls at the end of the Colts and Browns game. And... Ursay also tweeted, I believe we need to institute instant replay for all calls, including penalties, in the last two minutes of all games. Final two minutes of all games. Institute replay for everything. I'm not against that. The problem is they don't want to slow down the game. That's their ultimate goal is for the networks to get in and out on a doubleheader day for CBS or Fox in this window that we're discussing because of this game or uh, any game that they're pointing to. They have that sweet spot of three hours and seven minutes. That's what they want.
2: Well, so Bill Belichick has been big on this um, about just make every play reviewable, even the judgment calls. I like that. And that doesn't take up any more time because you still have the same amount of reviews to go over. It's not adding your your thing about that Jim Ursay saying with the, you know, you get added reviews in the final two minutes. That could knock over that three hour, seven minute time window. But this would not be changing anything because you get the same amount of challenges. Just now what you can challenge has opened up to every major call in the game that could affect the game one way or the other. So I'm all for that compromise from from Bill Belichick on this one. And admitting fault on this, uh, big deal. Uh, That doesn't turn things back over. No, but you know what? I I can't – I just told Andy Staples I'd love for the SEC or college football, Big Ten or someone to come out and admit anything and be transparent in some way. So I'll at least give the NFL credit. They didn't do it publicly. They told Jim Irsay this, right? Yeah, and
0: Irsay's tweeting it
2: because And now he's Irsay's public. saying it. So I don't he's know how transparent it. that is. But, yeah, there's no solace in losing a game for these calls. If you're the coach or the owner or the GM or whoever that's being told, yeah, they missed that one. You know, sorry about that. Sorry they missed that one. And there was because a, jobs are on the line when that happens. I mean, th- th- this could cost someone their job. They're up 38-33. right there.
0: And it, there's a illegal contact penalty on a strip sack fumble recovery for Indy, where they just kneel on it after that it's called back and then subsequently they end up having the uncatchable pass that was deemed pass interference in the end zone Browns go on uh, to win the game Will Levis expected to be in the game expected to get the start for the Tennessee Titans on Sunday as they host the Atlanta Falcons and Desmond Ritter Uh, about time to ascend to at least the backup role at least that I was saying if Tannehill could play with the ankle issue coming off of the London game in the bye week. If he was going to play, Levis should be the backup. Now, the second-round pick that the Titans traded up for this past draft makes his NFL debut on Sunday against Atlanta in a big spot against an opponent that the Titans can absolutely win against. Question is, is Levis ready for his moment? And I I still think we see both quarterbacks.
2: Yeah, there's – got to see what you have, though. I am not a believer in the idea that because the offensive line is bad or the receivers aren't great or the season isn't going well, well, you got to protect this guy and wrap him in bubble tape. I mean, you traded up to get Will Levis in the second round, a guy many thought going into the draft was a top-five pick that fell to you in the second round with the idea that he is your future franchise quarterback. There is no time like the present to see what you have with him. No one is expecting this Titans team to go on some winning streak or to win a bunch of games. He's going to take his lumps. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to get hit hard at times. Let's see how he responds to it. That should be the thinking of NFL teams. I'm glad the Titans are going to give him his his chance and see what they have with him. And I think that's absolutely the right move right now with Will Levis because they need to know. What's coming next for this franchise? He's
0: at his best when he had a strong run game at Kentucky. They also had a strong offensive line. To me, it's, is Henry here a week from now? It sounds like going into the, the game, the deadline's next Tuesday. They can play this game. Uh, he's in a, at least a decent spot to where he can rely on a running back if the Titans want to hand him the football uh, as much as what we've been used to seeing instead of what we have seen this season. Chad, uh, Brady Quinn. There was an old show, what, Dr. Quinn?
2: Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Yeah. Here, yeah.
0: Here's uh, Dr. Quinn. Uh, Jane dem- C. Demolition as how, is what uh, happened here with Brady Quinn and uh, Quincy Avery, who is uh, Deshaun Watson's quarterback coach, um, off, off the field and away from the facility. This is the quote originally from Brady Quinn on Fox Sports Radio with uh, LeVar Arrington and Jonas Knox. Everyone with a medical opinion has cleared Deshaun Watson. The situation is almost similar to a kid getting a $230 million trust fund. You ask them to get a job, and they have no incentive to do it. That from, from Brady Quinn. Uh, the response from Quincy Avery is, Brady, I'm going to be real. You don't know what the bleep you're talking about, and sit behind a microphone gossiping like a little high school chick. And here's the back and forth uh, with the two of them i he goes on and says uh, come talk anytime you want in person open invitation that's from Brady Quinn to Quincy Avery and Avery responds and says I just seen you Saturday I don't have to I, I don't have anything I want to talk to you about I'm telling you we're talking about things you don't know talking on another man who doesn't know you you don't know is weak and Quinn says lol well I didn't see you Point being is the response, and Quinn says, how about we massage this conversation and get it to a happy ending? Does that sound satisfactory? (laughs) That's a good response. And it ends there.
2: Yeah. That's
0: That's when you know it's probably
2: time to to walk out if you're him. Now, I I will say. um, I think it's a weird thing to say. Talking on another man who doesn't know you is weak. So it was the backhanded thing of this guy doesn't even know who you are. But yet, I'm concerned enough with your opinion to tweet you. Uh, and now, but you shouldn't talk about him because he doesn't know who you are. Okay. So, so what we've done, though, like, both
0: sides here, I believe, know something that's going on. Because you've got, there's no doubt you can question Deshaun Watson and what's going on based on the fact that originally he said he was going to play. Then he didn't. And the coach said it was on Watson. Brady's also correct in saying he's been cleared by the medical staff and was cleared from concussion protocol during the game last week against the Colts. But what's also, Brady Quinn says, uh, this is similar to a kid with a $230 million trust fund. You ask them to get a job and they have no incentive to do it. Uh, What was the incentive for Watson to play last week then? He was already injured. He already had the shoulder issue and he still played. So I I don't compare it to that whatsoever because he was coming off of a great game against Tennessee sits out, then goes on this three week bender, including the bye week where he's on the sideline, but you don't really know if it's a contusion. Then all of a sudden it was uh, more than that. It was the throwing shoulder, whatever pain tolerance, whatever they want to point to. So what would the incentive be for him to actually start the game against Indianapolis? If he was a kid asked to get a job with a trust fund and, just chose not to get a job he would have no incentive to play that game and the browns i mean to me it's on the flip side stefanski now protecting him from getting hit instead of earlier a month ago saying yeah watson chose to not play it was his call double there are two different messages being sent And both sides have a reason to argue their point. It's the
2: back and forth. It's the lack of a consistent message about what's wrong with him, what's going on, what's his availability. Because even after this game, you're right, he started, he played, he got hit hard, his head hit the turf, they evaluated him for concussion, he got cleared of it, he could have gone back in. Stefanski falls on the sword and that was my decision, I don't want to see him hit anymore, Went with PJ Walker. They win the game. Great. No harm, no foul. Stefanski says post game, uh, he'll be back. That was me just keeping him out of the game. He cleared concussion. He'll be back next week. And then Deshaun Watson's telling a reporter after the game, I, I don't know. We got to pray over the shoulder and pray on it and see if I'm going to be back next week. What, what is going on? I think. Can the head coach and the quarterback get in the same room? And have a discussion and talk to each other so they can both go in front of a camera and say the same thing. That's what I want in this whole deal. Whether that be Deshaun Watson's out for four weeks because of the shoulder issue, or he's playing next week. Just have a united front. It's not hard to get in the same room, have a conversation, and understand each side. And they don't seem to be doing that.
0: Cleveland on the road against Seattle, and uh, Watson did have an MRI on the shoulder, and injured reserve is on the table. Stefanski won't say what their decision is going to be on IR. If you want to quiet down this for a couple weeks, several weeks, that's the way to do it. But the Browns need him. If you're going to rely on defense, just ask San Francisco how that goes. Join us tomorrow, 3 to 6 Eastern, right here on the OutKick Network.